2: Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Um, two guests this week, one topic. Uh, I've been looking forward to doing this for a while. It is a podcast on covering Serena Williams, the, not arguably, in my opinion, the greatest women's tennis player of all time. Apologies to the Steffi Graf fans out there who certainly have an argument. And I have two writers, longtime friends as well, who covered Serena Williams' entire career who are two of the greatest tennis writers to ever grace pages. That's no hyperbole. John Wertheim is a senior writer for Sports Illustrated, senior correspondent for 60 Minutes, and a senior analyst for the Tennis Channel, multiple best-selling books as well. He is joined by Scott Price, who worked for Sports Illustrated for 26 years as a senior writer. His byline was S.L. Price, for those of you... Uh, who read Sports Illustrated during those years. He wrote some of the most important stories in the history of the magazine and covered uh, too many tennis majors to mention. He's also a best-selling author as well. His last book, Playing Through the Whistle, Steel Football and an American Town. And we go about an hour on Serena, um, what it was like to cover her, what uh, their first uh, impressions of Serena, the kind of access that they got from Serena, And the Williams family, what the dynamic was between Serena and the press, and just an overall exploration of Serena Williams as a sports subject. Again, one of the most iconic athletes of her time, and when she departs the court, which it looks like after this year's U.S. Open, it is going to leave a major void. So uh, an hour conversation with John Wertheim and Scott Price on Serena Williams coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, as I said at the top, um, I'm absolutely looking forward to this because it's a, uh, you know, not only is it a sport that uh, I've been part of and, have been a fan of for a long time, but my two guests are two people that I worked very, very close with. They are two of my favorite colleagues. They could not have been better to me in terms of uh, mentorship and, and friendship. So this is a great treat for me to reconnect with them. John Wertheim is a senior writer for Sports Illustrated, a senior correspondent for 60 Minutes, a senior analyst for the Tennis Channel, a New York Times bestselling author, I believe the inventor of the Tesla as well. That's in, in addition to all of John's other uh, stuff. Now, that last part's not true. And by the way, John, I have no idea if you are indeed a senior analyst for the Tennis Channel. I just like uh, that title. Scott Price worked for Sports Illustrated for 26 years as a senior writer, running some of the most important stories in that magazine's history, including too many tennis majors to mention. Like John, he's a bestselling author. His last book, Playing Through the Whistle, Steel Football, and An American Town. That's the story of Alquipa, Pennsylvania, which has a lot of famous NFL players, but the uh, the book is really revelatory about America and um, and sort of steel towns and, and particularly East Coast ones and what happened to them. And I am pleased to be joined by John Wertheim and Scott Price. Welcome to the Sports Media Podcast.
0: Happy to be it's here. It's like old times. Good exactly. to be here. This is like, uh, like-, this is like a, a, a media room at a uh, major long ago.
2: Yeah, if it was if it was old time, Scott would be sending me out to do legwork and then not using that reporting.
1: Yeah, yeah. That, was, that, was a thousand, yeah
2: that would be yeah. mm-hmm. six page tennis column. Scott, uh, I just gave you fifteen hours worth of work. How come there's not anything in here? Okay,
1: all right. They, they were incredible files, that I can
2: tell. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. All right, John. I want to start with you, and then we'll go to Scott. Um, very broad, John writ large. Can you give some? Can you give the listeners some perspective? on how long you have covered serena williams
0: oh man um don't don't start with me um i have i've covered serena williams since uh richard williams said you think venus is good well i've got a younger one who plays tennis comparably well but she's going to be better because she's meaner which to me is one of the great sports prophecies um but no i mean when serena won that first u.s open uh in 1999 in the 90s hard as that is to believe um you know scott scott wrote a brilliant piece and i think you and i were uh we're doing legwork for him that day
2: scott i'm gonna get uh um i'll get to that piece because it's i think very important as part of this conversation and that's the september 20th 1999 issue of sports illustrated for those of you who are real sports illustrated fanatics uh serena's on the cover little sister big hit that's um that's her first Sports Illustrated cover. But Scott, you know you co- you were covering tennis for Sports Illustrated back then, so I wonder did you did you do you do you have any memories of writing about the Williams sisters prior to that major win? I know Venus was profiled, I think, at fourteen, but that that may have been Sonya Steptoe or someone else. Do you do you remember when you first started writing about them?
1: Well, yeah, I I mean my my first exposure writing about them was the ninety seven U S Open when Venus you know, barreled, barreled through the draw and went to, uh, and uh, all the way to the finals and um, against Hingis. And, you know, one of the extraordinary things about that was, aside from everything else, just from Sports Illustrated's perspective, was, you know, almost never did the U.S. Open winner get on the cover because it was football season, NFL season began. And secondly, she lost and she was on the cover. But the fact is, is that she was on the cover um, uh, with Venus. Venus Envy was the was the uh, that's, right. Yeah, that's right was the cover and 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 that was where she and richard and the williams family like sort of came full flower onto the uh, onto the tennis tour obviously venus had been around for a while um, as a sensation but this is where she really announced herself as a, as a force and and richard of course was spouting off and that was the 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 uh the you know the the slam of the infamous spurlay of love and uh you know it was it was just chaos which is which is wonderful for a writer of course and you know very soon after that uh I think it was later in the the year of 97 I went off and did a bonus on the Williams family and was driving around South Florida with Richard and he was driving with no hands and smoking and 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 I I actually showed up you know, at the house, the compound is, is, is overstating it, but they're, but they're home in, in Palm beach, West Palm beach. Um, and, uh, I, at the time had a, a an old 19, I was driving an old 1960 Plymouth fury with push button transmission and a big <laughs> fin and, and, and that, that was my car and Richard Williams, you know, loved it. I absolutely loved the car. So it was, so it was a great little intro and, you know, I was obviously watching him coach Serena and, and Venus on the court um spent time with the family didn't I don't think I spent much time with the scene then um but you know and and that was a, a big story and of course you know Richard was this this dominating presence at the time and he sort of sucked up all the air in the room and you know you, you had to talk to Richard at all times after almost every match because you who knew what he would say he was talking about that was the, t- the era where he was talking about like Buying Rockefeller Center and yeah, you know, just all kinds of crazy things, and like a month and a half after I was at his house, my younger brother came to visit me in South Florida. I was living in Miami at the time, and 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 he was driving. He I, I gave him my car to you know to have for the day while I was working at the Miami Herald, and he was driving along Ocean Drive in 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 South Beach, and he comes to a you know a crosswalk and this large African American man is going across the the, uh, the crosswalk, and he suddenly turns, and my brother was not a tennis fan, but even if he was, there's no reason why he would have known who Richard Williams was, and, and the man turns and says, hey, where'd you get that car? And my brother says, like, he's kind of like, what? what's happening? He goes, well, it's my brother's, and, and the man then kind of looked at him and squinted and said, you tell, you tell Scott I, uh, Richard Williams said hello, and then he turns and walks off, so that was that was my Richard uh, loves my car story. Um, so anyway, I mean, that, that was that was my original sort of uh, introduction to to William's world. Um, and so uh, off we went from there. And then ninety nine, of course, was was when Serena broke through. And uh, at that point, you know, it was uh, the doors were off and, and everything was full speed ahead.
2: All right, well, all right. So this is good. It's a very good uh, segue there. By the way, John Wertheim, uh, Venus Envy. One of the titles of uh, his book, I believe, on the two thousand one one season. Man, that you know, I will say, I, it's the it's like flashbacks now flowing through. I can't. I, I remember all the press corps following Richard everywhere. Uh, like early on and like he literally was like on the back page of the New York Post it felt like every day because he was saying uh things it's just like a i mean very very different than the than the Serena Williams you sort of think about today obviously as uh she's a mother now and deep in her 30s okay september 20th 1999 as i mentioned that's the cover of sports illustrated serena breaks through wins her first major beats Hingis 6376 to become the first African-American since Arthur Ashe in 1975 to win a Grand Slam singles title. First African-American woman to do it since Althea Gibson in 1958. This is a monumental seismic moment in tennis. And let me uh, quote Scott Price here from his story. Historic shifts hit tennis like hurricanes. You see them coming but never know exactly where or when they'll make landfall. Suddenly at this open, the future came blowing in. Steffi Graf had retired a month earlier. Fellow veteran Yana Novotna announced midway through the tournament that she'll be following suit at the end of the year. And stalwarts such as Arantxa Sanchez-Vicario and Mary Joe Fernandez folded before the quarterfinals. The new generation is here and it's ready to take over, Novotna said at her retirement press conference. I think those players will be great and they'll be tough as well. Prophetic words from the late... Yana Novotna, may she rest in peace. Um, John, when Serena broke through, and this, again, is pretty early, I think, in your tennis covering career, did you have any sense as to what would come? Um, I can honestly say I did not. I thought she'd be an excellent player. In a million years, I would have never expected what happened next. But do you have memories, John, of that 1999 U.S. Open?
0: Yeah, I mean, I was thinking I, I got a call earlier that year saying, get to Florida which which must have meant Price was off doing something else because I was uh, you know, I was a junior partner. Um, Venus and Serena are in the latter rounds of, of this Lipton event. And if they make it into the finals, that could be a big story. And you sort of roll your eyes, and it was this was the, you know, a, a different era in media where you could take risks like this. And if either of them had lost, I would have flown right home. But it turned out, remember they played in the final of that event as Scott Rev. That was when Richard Williams Held court and uh, digression. We can talk about whether that was by accident or by design. When he was talking about writing funny books and buying Rockefeller Center from, I think it was from, from the Chinese people's, um, and everyone sort of scribbled and smiled. Did that take some pressure and some attention away from uh, from his ascending daughters? So, by point being, by 1999, we, we already knew this was. Th- these were eventual champions. The conventional wisdom, though, was that Venus, the older sister, was going to break through first. She was the one that beat Serena in that that Miami event. And she was ranked higher and, you know, was had whatever it is, you know, almost two years. It's uh, almost two years older. And so I, I think everyone thought and, and had been to the US Open final two years prior, like Scott talked about. So I, I think everyone knew by this point, point the Williams family was going. You know, this, this was a real thing. This wasn't tennis myth making. This wasn't sort of a uh, sports narrative. These were future champions. Did anyone say, boy, the two of them are going to combine for 30 majors and be the two best players in the quarter century? No, but I think by this point, everyone knew this was for real. The only difference was Venus was the one that was supposed to break through first. And I, I think one thing that gets lost with Serena in that 99 U.S. Open. Um, I, I just pulled this up, because uh, so I'm cheating here. Here's, here are our last five opponents. Kleisters, Conchita Martinez, Monica Seles, Lindsay Davenport, Martina Hingis. So this was wow. no fluke. Five, so Hall of Famers. Yeah, exactly. Five, yeah. five Hall of Famers. Five major champions. And so Serena won. She, 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 earned this one. And there is this great image that Scott writes about of, of Venus sitting there. She attends the finals because this is, you know, this this is family and this is history. But it was sort of there, there was clear ambivalence and Venus was the one that was supposed to be winning that first major. Um you know, the, the following year she, she does just that and and all's well, but um, it was a strange event. It was, it was history, but it also was sort of the, the, the wrong sister.
2: All right, Scott, I got, I have, so I have a lot for you here. Um, I'm going to read what Andre Agassi told you about Serena and Venus, and it is fascinating to read now, 20-something years later. But let me just say this for those who are listening. I distinctly remember sitting in the U.S. Open media center like lunchroom, coffee room, and Scott Price, to his credit, said that he believed Serena would be the better player. And, of course, as John just sort of pointed out, I thought that was insane. I mean, Venus Williams looked like... You know, the next, like, athlete 3.0, absolutely. The older sister, you figured she was going to roll, win whatever. You know, 5, 10 majors, and Serena might win a couple. And I distinctly remember making a bet. I think it was a coffee bet with Scott. Um, that uh, Venus would have been more majors than Serena. I have not paid up on that bet, Scott. I apologize, and uh, but you have won. I am officially declaring it today that uh, that Scott Price is correct. Let me read you this, Scott, and then you can comment on it because it's it's fa- it's fantastic. So this is Andre Agassi talking to Scott Price um, for his uh, his story on the 1999 U.S. Open, and he predicted that Serena. Would win this tournament. This is Andre Agassi beforehand. I thought she was ready, Agassi said, after his compelling 6'4, 6'7, 6'7, 6'3, 6'2 win over better than ever Todd Martin in Sunday's men's final. By the way, Todd Martin probably beats anybody else on that day. It's a bummer for him. I like her game. She and Venus are incredible athletes, but it's my belief that Serena was more ready to win a big tournament. Her second serve is a lot better, her forehand is better, and she's a more efficient mover. They're both fast, and Venus can elevate into greatness as well, but she's going to end up taking a bit more work. Scott, Andre Agassi called it, and he called it when Serena was 17.
1: Well, let me, let me just say something about you know our bet. You know, Andre wasn't alone. I mean, the reason I, I felt secure in making that bet, I, I mean, you know, I was smart enough to talk to people who were smarter than me. And in tennis, tennis people, former players, coaches were telling me, look, you know, Venus is great, but but Serena's total package especially her transition from baseline to net her forehand i mean her serve she's just a more um f- not flawless package but 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 just it, it it's it's just put together a little bit more efficiently than venus so in tennis circles already i mean agassi was sort of the 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 most eloquent edge you know a voice in that but but she had won, I think, sixteen in a row earlier in the year. Uh, as John said, you know, you know, she obviously you know tore through the draw um, against Hall of Famers. But but people who were analyzing tennis the way that you know on a level that I could you know never do were telling me that this is what we're seeing from this package uh, that is that is Serena Williams. It's just a more efficient machine in many ways than Venus's. Venus's game will and can, can and will break down. Under pressure, and um, and 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 Serena just has flaws has far less flaws in that regard. So so just that that that's where that comes from. And so Agassi again, what, you know, he told me that. And as I said, I mean, it, it, at that point, Agassi, um, he, he was always a tennis savant. But but when he spoke about tennis, it was I, I just recall him, you know, instant recall of messages uh, messages of matches, you know, Davis Cup matches from like six seven years before where it was like you know this stroke that stroke like instantaneous um people would ask him what happened there i mean he he's remarkable in that regard and and again he's so honest he wasn't honest about himself at times uh but he was he was absolutely blunt honest about tennis and he and he couldn't help himself and and so when he said that, I took it to the bank um, uh, when it came to Serena.
2: All right, John, so Serena Williams wins the U.S. Open in 1999, but she doesn't go on a run, like a major run over the next two years. The next two years are essentially like sort of establishing herself as a top 10 player. She makes the finals of the U.S. Open in 2001. Then we get to 2002. Um, and that's Serena winning the French. Wimbledon U.S. Open. The next year she wins Australia and Wimbledon. So that's basically six majors uh, over the course of two years. What do you recall uh, about like that time with her? Because that's really where she becomes, you know, sort of an all-timer. I mean, the the 99 was a great win but it did take her a couple of years and then in 2002 that to me is like where the rocket fuel goes and and that's when she becomes the player we sort of ultimately uh uh now know her to be
0: yeah i mean i think a lot of this was overcoming which you know something in, in retrospect is totally reasonable even though people got impatient which is it's really weird to be facing your sister who is your you know your. Your partner in crime, your kindred spirit. you grew up in the same bedroom and she's on the other side of the net when you're playing for these historic titles. And I think it took Serena a little bit of time to get over that, the awkwardness of of perverting, of distorting the birth order. and once she did, then it was sort of off to the races. And you know, I mean, there's a lot going on at this time. I mean, I think we we can talk about this more broadly. I mean one one thing I love about this story is, we are so past the days when the Williams sisters are polarizing and when this whole sort of these these arguments about culture surface. I mean, right now it's this absolute love fest as it should be. But, you know, in, in the first five years or so, there was friction and there were adjustments on both sides. And this was in a time when Serena had to Deal with everything from the the microaggressions in media to the distraction of, of her father to this idea that she's got to figure out a way to beat her older sister with these titles on the line. And two thousand two, two thousand three, I think we we started to get some some clarity there. And um, I think you're you're absolutely right. I mean, just the, the, the historically, empirically, that's when that's when the train really got running.
1: I just want to say the the older and and John has made this point often. I mean. They are the, the, arguably, and I wouldn't even argue, the greatest sports story in American history in the sense that you have not just one Tiger Woods, but two in the family, two African Americans in a white sport, and the dynamic that every... So you, you may not be able to relate to their power, their background, or their astonishing sort of march through tennis, but everyone... Almost everyone understands sibling rivalry, sibling pressures, sibling situations. And the older sisterness, younger sisterness thing is the most remarkable thing about them. Mm-hmm. Let me just say this. Number one, it's going back to just the 99 open. Venus, that that picture of her, she had a hood on her head and she looked like she was in mourning. And she, when she clapped, she, everyone else was going nuts in her box and she was barely getting putting her hands together. It was, it was heartbreaking to see because it was one of the few times, in fact, I would argue it's the only time that we ever saw any of that tension. Now, one thing that that opened up to me was I, I believe that was the first time I found Oracine after the match and Orosine is the ballast of that family
0: the
1: mm-hmm. truth teller and 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 she just i found her in the lounge afterwards and she talked to me at length about just how bad venus felt she she thought that she let people down that it didn't make sense that she didn't win first yes. and 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 so that dynamic that psychology was incredible because we've never seen that again and I would argue that the great accomplishment of the Williams family, beyond the Grand Slams, beyond everything else, beyond even their social um, march, you know, their, 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 their social activism that has been so important is, is and I hate to say this because no one wants to get soapy, love. They literally, I, the, their relationship is unassailable. And there are other relationships, sibling relationships in tennis and sports that do not survive the competition, the fever, the attention, the hype. And somehow, in spite of all that, nothing has ever supplanted in their minds the, the importance of their relationship. It's a credit to their parents and a credit to them that that sisterhood has remained forever stronger than wins and, and hype and money. and. I think, and this is—I have no, no, nothing to base this on except my observation—that at some point Venus made a concession to herself, which is that I'm the older sister, I'm going to be, I'm, I'm going to not step aside, but, but I'm going to understand and be generous and and know that that she's better than me, and that's going to be okay, and I'm going to be okay with it. She had to do that, I think, to make it okay for Serena to get to the point where she then felt comfortable like Venus had to get comfortable first. I have no evidence of that, but I just feel like that had to happen almost emotionally, logically is the only thing that makes sense to me. Um, And, and so anyway, so I just, I just want to point that out because I think that that transition is the, is the untold part of the story. I don't know that we'll ever know it unless they really go into it someday um, themselves. But it's also the most identifiable, and I, and I would argue that's one reason, even though it made us uncomfortable at first, like, why are they, you know, how can they want to beat each other? Like, the fans care more than they do, or should we care? Because they don't, they're, they're confused, so we're confused. But it really is the most compelling and human aspect of their story and remains so, and, and will ever remain so. And I think it's an incredible achievement on the part of the family and the parents and everybody else.
0: Expand that beyond Venus and Serena, right? I mean, they're, they're other siblings to whom they Remain very, very close, and Richard and Oristine are, are no longer married. And yet, the all, all the, all the sisters are close to both of them. That's right. Yeah. And you never heard about financial disputes, and you never heard about petty jealousy. And imagine, I mean, just sort of imagine the complexity of all this. And on the one hand, this, this is your younger sister. This is your parents and their methods being completely validated. This is trailblazing. This is pathbreaking. And yet. if if you're venus and serena there has to be an awkwardness that it's often at the expense of your sister
1: um and and they they were and they were known as not it wasn't just a reputation they were ruthless competitors it wasn't like they you know they they clearly wanted to take out the opponent whoever the opponent was that's what they were taught and that's who they were and yet what was even more important was they had to navigate negotiate whether it was consciously or subconsciously how do we work this out and they did and it would have been understandable if they didn't in fact it's a miracle that they did
2: i want to uh, i mean I, that's that's these those are those both very interesting observations and uh um you know without you guys having psychology degrees i i tend to agree with ex- exactly what you were saying john i want to uh, scott you certainly should weigh in after john answers this because you're part of this too but um, I want to get into a little bit of sort of the coverage of Serena. The John, as you know, the sport the sport is very white and still remains white, even though um, there are more people of color within the sport. The press corps, when Serena Williams started, was overwhelmingly white. I think it's gotten a little bit better, but still, that 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 is a truism. Um, from your observations, particularly like let's say Serena's first five, ten years on tour what were those press conferences like and was in your opinion was there always an undercurrent of race in the room because obviously this is a person of color who's the subject of the questions and almost everybody in the room uh was white and in many times very much a white male
0: yeah and then you know let's let's uh let's let's quickly point out we are we're three middle-aged white guys talking about this right now exactly um it was something i mean at first, you're like, man, this, this, is, this is tricky to cover. And you sort of want to be conscious of the dynamic and the power imbalance. And I mean, I, I wrote about this um, a few weeks ago. I still remember Serena, 1990, we're, we're playing sort of p- history, nostalgia here, but 1998, Serena Williams goes to the press conference. She, you know, the, the, the <laughs> I, media court does not look like her. And there's this, do you remember this, Scott? There's a dispute over the origins of the word ghetto. Ghetto, exactly. Yeah, you absolutely. remember that?
1: Yep, I was there. Yeah.
0: Um, And, you know, in in retrospect, is this really an appropriate conversation to be having with a a 16 year old woman of color? Perhaps not. Um, But Serena said the word ghetto has, I'm I'm paraphrasing here, but, you know, has, has origins in the black community. And somebody said, no, 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 it pertains to Eastern Europe and then Jews. And there's this sort of dispute with this overwhelmingly white male press corps. And she's 16 years old. And the 16 year old girl about the, the you know, the, the etymology of the word uh, ghetto, which is sort of, like you know, in, in retrospect, probably not the coolest conversation to be having uh, uh, in the first place. And somebody brings in a dictionary and Serena <laughs> looks at Jesus. the dictionary definition and says, you have your information, I have mine. And okay. I, I thought in, in retrospect, um, boy, if that wasn't a, a bit of foreshadowing right there. But um, no, I mean, it, it's, I, I think a lot of
1: the and John, John. By, by the way, the year before, you know, Richard, you know, that whole Spurleya incident. You know, part of it was Richard calling uh, Spurleya a big white turkey, big, big, big you know. tall white turkey. Exactly. Yeah, so, um, so, so race was uh, Richard. I mean, I'm not, I don't, I don't, want to sidetrack John, but I'm just saying, race, race was almost always in the room, especially early right. on.
0: Yeah, and I also think, how, however, however, fraud it may have made, it, you know, imagine you put yourself in there, you know, in the, in the in the shoes of these uh, two sisters staring out at a sea of. Uh, you know, pale, overwhelmingly white, overwhelmingly male uh, r- r- reporting. And I mean, again, I, I think, you know, I, I think that's a relationship that improved. I, th- I think pretty early on, um, both the Williams sisters sort of said, you know, en- enough with this tennis media, which which actually worked to the benefit of Sports Illustrated. And yep. then pretty soon okay. it was sort of. Then pretty soon it was enough of the sports media, right? Right. And and suddenly you know it was and you know I mean you know notice where in twenty twenty two Serena chose to make her retirement announcement, but um, quickly as you know I, I think this was completely logical and rational. But as as they got to be bigger and bigger stars, the interactions with the tennis media they 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 didn't want to talk about forehands and backhands and who you're playing in the next round. They wanted to talk about they didn't even want to talk about sports. So very early on that the tennis media sort of fell in priority and you you would expect that these are global superstars um you know t- talking about who, who they were going to meet in the round of 16 was not where their priorities were
2: so scott let me get to you because this john hits on something that's pretty important i think one of the benefits for uh for you and john in particular because you two were the ones who were writing the the magazine stories and the magazine stories usually afforded you some one-on-one time with the winner of the tournament. And obviously in many cases, that was Serena Williams. I always thought that when it came to the sports press, the Williams sisters were incredibly good. I don't want to, you know, I'm saying the Williams sisters, I'll just include Venus here, even though this is really a covering Serena podcast, the Williams sisters and their family were very, very good. With Sports Illustrated, by and large, I can remember Scott so many times when um, it would be that final Saturday or Sunday, you would get one-on-one time with Serena, and that was a, that was a. There were very few places that got that. The New York Times got that. Maybe there would be like an ESPN who got that. Some major foreign uh, lequipe or something like that, but Sports Illustrated was always in that loop, and I think that absolutely helped you develop a really good relationship with serena at least as good a relationship as can have with a with a press person and subject and like you said earlier i think going to uh the family in 97 probably helped as well so i wonder if you could just sort of reflect on how you saw your individual relationship and obviously through the prism of sports illustrated with serena over the years you covered her
1: well i you know it's funny because um you know, like you know, first of all, we 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 split the slams. Number one, so so I mean, I was I did the U.S. Open, I think, almost every year. Um, but but overall, John and I, and before that, uh, it was Sally Jenkins. I um split the slams, and so you know, John obviously had this has this situation as well, and um I'm sure, and um I I found her to be to be great. I mean, there's there's no question about it. But um in my coverage, I was also I felt free to and I did criticize her um, you know, especially when her behavior, I thought, you know, crossed the line and, um, you know, I, th- I thought I was pretty tough on her. So there were times when I thought there was a real chill in the air. Um, and you know, there, I mean, I, you know, after her, the, I, I I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on the year, it might be 2009, but whatever, you know, the, the infamous, you know, footfall called the U.S. Right. Open. Um, you know, I, I went out to see, uh, you know, every, I mean, it was complete chaos. And and I, there was not going to be a one on one that night. The Williams family was 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 out of there like a shot. And I, along with, you know, the New York Post, and everybody else sort of raced around to the to the entrance, the, 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 the players entrance of the US Open, because we figured, well, that, the you know, the family's coming out at this point. And Richard Richard's there. If I if I remember correctly, Richard was there. Um, unless I'm conflating with another of these situations, but regardless, I went up to Richard and said, oh, ah, Richard, well, you know, what do you think? And he said, get the get the fuck out of my face, you know? And, and so I don't know if it was me specifically, although, you know, he certainly recognized me because we often would talk about my car. In fact, we might've talked about how much he loved my car, maybe two days before that, which was warm and fuzzy. And then the next thing you know, I'm, I'm getting, you know, this, so, so it, my relationship with them was not always, um, incredibly tight, but it was always, there was always dialogue. Like, and, and I, you know, criticized when I thought they were wrong. And I praised when I thought um, Serena did great, you know? So, so it was weird because I, I, there's no question they knew the value of Sports Illustrator. I remember a French Open after, at least after 2009, more like in the early 2010s, uh, I was at a, a French Open and, and Serena's uh, Agent Jill Smoller, like just out of nowhere, sort of buttoned to hold me and said, "I was, I'd, I'd been doing a lot of bonuses at the time, long, long pieces in the back of the book." She goes, "You know, I," and and I sort of this was one of those chilly periods, you know, where I thought, "Ah, I've been criticizing them a lot. I, I'm not going to get much time this, this, this for a while now." And she came up and said, uh, "You know, I'd, I, I'd like to see one of those long pieces on Serena." And I was like, "What? You know, I mean, I couldn't believe it." So, and what I mean by that is clearly they saw the value. Of wanting to tell that story their story even with somebody who you know had been critical which i've as a journalist completely appreciated because the, the obvious instinct is you know i'm going to get somebody who who's been you know completely positive about me and is on our side you know it's a very understandable point of view for people who are subjects and certainly those with no journalistic grounding but but overall um you know they were there was There was an interesting professionalism about them, uh, especially Serena and Serena's camp, uh, when it came to the media. And obviously, you know, there was a a benefit to it. But you know, I I didn't even go to them. They they originally came to me to do a long piece on Serena, which at a time when I had been critical, and I found that really interesting and uh, and smart, you know, in 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 their regard. But but and but unusual and. You know, I go back to like in '97 when I went there and did that story. Uh, Serena and Venus were writing a newsletter, <laughs> <laughs> and they were, and they, they actually wanted to know if if I wanted to write for their newsletter. I kind of remember that. That was the, that was, and I always found that both so sweet, endearing, and funny. And the newsletter I think lasted for one issue, if we want to call that. I don't you know. You should
2: what. have, you should have, you should have said yes. That would, that exactly. would have been a collector's. Sorry, right, so John, it's uh, this, Scott. I appreciate that perspective. John, it is different for you though, because not only did you cover. Than for Sports Illustrated, eventually, by virtue of your tennis channel work, you would have seen them far more than Scott. I I would venture to say that there are very few people who have covered the sport who they have seen in a press room or somewhere more than you. Maybe there's some, you know... uh, you know, maybe Pam Shriver or who, you know, whoever, maybe some ESPN or something like that. But by and large, you got to see them globally, you got to see them abroad, you saw them at the US Open. How would you, and I know it's a big question, but how would you evaluate your relationship with Serena as journalist and subject?
0: Um, I'd say sort of went, went in waves. Um, I mean, the one thing I think we should do is like not, not conflate Venus and Serena because, yeah. uh, they, Agreed. They, yeah. they, they are very different in their, their approach to everything media included was, was very different. I, I got the feeling they knew what was being said and written about them a lot more than they let on. Um, there, there was always, um, you know, I mean, there, there, there was always a sort of we, we don't we don't read the we don't read the papers. We don't hear the criticism, but I'm not sure that was entirely the case. But no, I mean, there, there was always a professionalism. Uh, Serena, and, you know, Venus, I think I always had a, a better relationship with. And some of that was just, you know, her, her career was less controversial. And um, I, I think there was an appreciation with Venus. at sort of who the people that were there early on and weren't sort of uh, weren't jumping on the bandwagon. Um, no, I mean, I think Serena's very complicated. She's very tough to cover. There are some days you get her, and she's she's charming and insightful. And there are other days where there's real sort of frost and opacity, um, as, as Scott referenced. It, it, all of this adds to the story. She's a human being. People are complex. But there have been s- s- some moments that are are difficult to condone. She alluded them, sort of at least um, at least vaguely. She alluded to those. In in this great retirement, this first person announcement, she's a tricky athlete to cover, and some of it was just you, you never quite knew about the context. At some level, you you learned what she responded to and what she didn't. I mean, ironically, if you ever wanted to talk tennis, it was a great way to sort of turn her off to the conversation. Serena <laughs> never had any interest in talking about what it did, what she did for a living. If you wanted to get a great response out of her, you know what you would ask about Venus. You've never seen the, so she she'd light up the most when the subject of Venus came up, and you sort of learn these. You know, you, you learned um, what what paths to go down, and the way you phrased a question or the way you phrased a statement was was very important. And the other thing too is just her her level of celebrity got to be such that it wasn't like dealing with any other tennis player, and there was this this orbit of of celebrity, and this some of this was just celebrity and handlers and publicists and others were just sort of the, the, the way you, you approach people who have this many requests and this many pressures. but um, no I mean there, there was always there was always a level of professionalism with Serena. I just think that um, you know the the tennis became less important and the demands of media I, I think got to her uh, pr- pretty early on actually.
1: and then, John, you may agree with this or you may disagree which both would be interesting especially if you disagree um i found especially later once it was clear that serena was you know one of the all-time if not the all-time greats it might even be after you know you had declared her you know on the cover of si i think it was after wimbledon as the greatest of all time i mean you know she she was by all all accounts the greatest and 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 it surpassed venus by leaps and bounds and i remember another of times reaching out to Venus, including, by the way, her twenty. But when when I wrote this Sportsman of the Year piece on on Serena, Venus was the only one who wouldn't talk to me. And I don't think it was. I don't think it was negative. I don't think it was. But I feel like Venus wanted to carve out her identity as a great player separate from, and she didn't really want. She, she's sort of like, I've spoken my piece on Serena. Everyone knows her love. I don't need to, again, talk about how great she is. Um, that, this is my feeling about, about Venus. If you want to talk about me and my career, I'm happy to talk about it. Um, but, but there was a point where she, you know, at least for the media, unless she was in charge of the discussion and, you know, suddenly would say something in- incredibly endearing and, and great about Serena, she was not going to be, uh, you know, in the chorus with everybody else saying how great Serena was. And I'm not saying she didn't think she was great, but I just felt there was this sort of self, a need as a proud athlete to say, I'm not just here to be Serena's caddy. I've got a great career right. going for two, and I, and I need to tend to that. And, you know, and so I, I, I found that that there was a there was a real integrity there because it, it, it wasn't impugning their love or affection for each other. It was more like I'm a professional athlete, I got my thing going on here. And and I found that later on to be the case. Now now you may because you say you had a that's way. really interesting. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, my
0: my that's true. I, I never heard that story. That's that's really interesting. And I think I think there there might be something to that. I mean, my my sense is if they wanted to do it. Yes, if they com- if they committed they were all in, right? I mean you you right. you v- Venus agreed to do something and and you got full Venus and she was no wonderful question. and funny yep. and if they ever had to do anything under duress, you know, That's players right. don't go to these press conferences cuz they want to. It's it's part of the deal and it's part of uh you know, this is part of the arrangements. If they ever have to do anything under duress, it's it can be disastrous. I mean go go back and read some of Serena's transcripts even from Wimbledon this year. Yeah. When part of the deal is you have to do a pre-tournament press conference. Sometimes right. they'll just eat the fine. I mean, sometimes right. they'll both just, I don't want to do it and find me here. Tell me where to send the check, but it's brutal. I mean, he, here's this, an intelligent 40 year old woman with perspective, who's a mother. And these are short one word answers. And it's clear that I'm here only because I have to be here and I'm not giving you anything.
1: Well, let, on the let, other let, hand, when they want to do it, they're great. And let me, let me take that one step further. When it came to race, the, the most fiery, explosive issue of all. And when especially white, but also African-American journalists, I found would bring up the issue of race. Um, and even in the most complimentary of ways, you guys are here carrying on the tradition of Althea Gibson, whatever. I found a sort of like a perfunctory. OK, yeah, I'll refer to that. But yeah. But 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 not a, like not a full on joining in the conversation unless they were ready or wanted to speak about it on their terms. And I respected that. It was like, I'm, if I'm going to, because these are two powerful African-American women who have been very out there on the edge of race and social justice. Um, and, but it was always on their terms. So they wanted to control that narrative, especially I think. And I found that again, if they wanted to talk about it, it was incredibly eloquent could be incredibly powerful, but, but, but only when they were ready, and and again, that's that's uh, that's that's a great strength of mind to have in a room full of people bearing down on let,
0: let, let me let me add two things real quick. Um, this year, Wimbledon, twenty twenty two, they ask uh, players about Roe versus Wade, and Coco Gauff, eighteen years old, talks about she, she's in she has she has a lot in her mind, and she's uh, vigorously opposed to this overturning. They ask Serena, and she doesn't touch it, right? And someone said to me, they said, don't you understand? It's part of being Jehovah's Witness. You don't take stances, your your fidelity, your, your faith is is to God, and it's not to countries, and that's why you, you won't catch them singing the national anthem. Mm-hmm. And so, that's really interesting. And then I said, you know, you sort of take a step back, and you sort of say, how, how wonderful and how cool is it that a quarter century on, there is still this level of mystery. Mm-hmm. And Serena's reluctance to talk about Roe versus Wade and people are still unsure is this strategic is this tactical does this have to do with endorsements no wait it's her faith um they held back i mean they, they did not always sort of you know they, they didn't know open whatever our, our cliche is in media right i mean some some people they they play ball every time and they um you know they open the bucket you didn't necessarily get that with venus and serena and there, there's something Kind of, it, it's admirable and, and kind of wonderful that this deep into the story, there is still this level of
2: mystery. All right, a couple, a couple more here, guys. um Let me start with you, John. I, I think one of the things that we've always seen in tennis, when someone makes the announcement that their their time as an active player is done, whatever that final tournament is, particularly if it's a major, you get. I mean, love letters and flowers and the whole treatment, whether it was Andy Roddick or Agassi or James Blake. I mean, it, many times it doesn't even matter Like the star of the player. In this case, it's, I think it's the greatest women's player of all time. The U.S. Open looks like it may be her last tournament, Or although, John, you may have some more information about that. However long she is there, I would expect um, the lovin' of lovin's at the U S open for Serena who didn't always get um, the adulation of that open crowd. What do you expect in a couple of weeks in, uh, in Queens? I just hope it goes
0: a few rounds so this can, can build, but no, you're absolutely correct. Um, this, this is adulation. I think we are so beyond any point of uh, sort of, sort of polarization. I mean, I, th- I think, you know, they they were right and any doubter was wrong the record speaks for itself the longevity speaks for itself this will be absolutely sort of some un- unmitigated love in um you hope it lasts you hope it lasts a bit and you know t- tennis is tough i mean it's it's not you know pete, pete sampras won the us open never played another match but it took him months and months to declare he was retired steffi graf played some obscure event in san diego got injured never played again so it's great that you have this love in it's i think that, that the timing will work well she's you know i mean her, her history at the u.s open has has not always been you know there've been some uh, there've been some great triumphs there have been some unfortunate moments but it probably is right that it's her home slam and the one she she won for the first time um but i think this will be an, an absolute serena celebration and other players have a chance to join in i mean it really um i, I think one of the underrated parts of this story is there there was friction in the beginning and um there's there's no friction anymore i mean this this is an absolute sort of titan of an athlete and she will get the the send-off she deserves
2: scott um the (laughs) you know a lot of times when someone um as well known as serena retires in a sport you think to yourself well is this someone who might be interested in you know, heading into broadcasting, and, and I, like I cannot see Serena Williams ever being a full-time broadcaster. Though I think she'd actually be a really interesting analyst because I think um, her ability to describe the game when she wants to is is really, really good. Do you? My sense is, without knowing anything, and you two guys have always been closer to this than me. My sense is that Serena's future will have very little to do with tennis. How do you see it?
1: Well, I, I I agree with that, but I would say that we've been predicting the Williams family future for you know quarter century now. And and you know, nobody thought they were gonna last this long and be the the sort of gray heads of tenet, like every, everyone, including Richard, was predicting them leaving by the age of 25. So I I wouldn't I wouldn't say never, but I agree with you. Every indication, and John said, you know, tipped to this earlier with the Vogue magazine thing, Eric, you know her, her um, scope is larger than tennis. I can't see her being confined to it. Let me. Can I just add one thing about the Open? I mean, what's fascinating is Serena's relationship and the Williams family relationship with the Open has always been incredibly fraught and tense. And it's only, and this is on the family's part, only on the, on the past mm, five, six years that the family really felt we, we're, we're accepted and celebrated at our home slam like we should be, like a, like a homegrown player should be. You know, blow-ups were at the Open. Um, Venus obviously had the contentious, you know, first, first uh, U.S. Open uh, uh, final that she contested. The family has a very fraught history with the Open and wondered, like, why here? Why are we constantly... Um, under pressure in a way that no other place is here. And it really, they really didn't feel, and they also felt we're always the overdogs under uh, open crowds, love underdogs. So, so they almost always were being like, why are people cheering more for Kim Kleisters than for, than for Serena or Venus? It was a mystery to the family. And, and, you know, they, they, they really had problems with it. So, it has been a love fest, and I, and I predict it will be a love fest, but the relationship between the Williams family and the U.S. Open is, 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 is its own incredibly interesting and intricate story. It's unlike their history with any other slant. John,
2: do you, uh, I mean, fair to say that we're not going to say hello and welcome to the Credit One Charleston Open. I'm Serena Williams joined by, like, I, 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 don't, I, I, don't, I don't think I see that in the future personally.
0: Well, I, th- I think she'll be coaching a player, so uh, she won't be able to broadcast. No, I, I think uh, I-, I think you're right, but I don't. I mean, part of this is just um, again the the, the mystery of-, of Venus and Serena, and the who the hell knows of it. And you you'll go broke if you ever try to predict anything. Um, the other thing I, I just think it's going to be interesting, sort of where they fit in, because in tennis there is a vast spectrum. I mean, there's some players as if they've never left. I mean, John McEnroe is as prominent at the U.S. Open uh, oh, no. this year as he will be when he was playing. And other players, I mean, I don't think Steffi Graf's been to a professional tennis match since um, since she retired. So there, there is wow. a there's a there's a there's a continuum. There there is a vast spectrum, and you sort of have to figure out how much you still want to be around this sport. I, I, it would be a pity if they if Venus and Serena, if they did what Steffi Graf or, or you know even something like you know, Jimmy Connors or Pete Sampras. I mean, some players have just said, "I've done it. I've gone to my last luxury suite. I've gone to my last awkward sponsor function. I'm out." Other players, uh, you know, you, you, it's hard to leave. It'll be really interesting to see sort of where they stick the fork.
2: All right. Here's the last one. Um, and all of us sort of, you know, the the one thing you don't want to get caught in is that like, oh, man, the sport can't like survive after Federer and Dahl Djokovic. Oh, man, the sport can't survive after Serena. Like the, the sports goes on. They're always um, there's always another crop of great players. And and you watch the sport because you love the sport. With my preamble there, Scott, all that said, if you talk about sort of the media aspect of the sport, the broadcasting of the sport, the star power of the sport, Serena leaving is really, really a monumental thing. You know, I'm on the WTA website right now and looking at the top 10, you know, Swiatek, Sakari, Ans Jabor, Sabalenka, Pegula, Muguruza, I mean, again, but Benchik, Gaff, all very talented, accomplished players. None of those players, by and large, are making the casual fan like tune in to a U.S. Open final or a Wimbledon final. And that will be another part of Serena's legacy is that it's going to take, I think, the tour a couple of years to find whoever that next dynamic must tune in. And that that is something that will end when Serena walks away. Because you look at the top 15, top 20 now, Honestly, there's nobody even close to her when it comes to that kind of star power.
1: Well, yeah. And look, the, the, here, here's the thing. that the, the tennis in many ways was sort of ruined by the tennis boom and into thinking or diluted by the tennis boom of the 70s into thinking that they could be, you know, a sport on par with, you know, football or baseball or whatever. It, this is a niche sport that that is that is propped up in in wonderful ways four times a year by these incredibly historic and and uh, uh, you know grand slams that people will tune into whether whether um their favorite player is playing or not and and you know it has it ebbs and flows there, are moments, there, there the great thing about tennis is that it constantly edges back into the cultural mainstream in a way that say golf doesn't um uh, because of social issues or what have you and so i i'm less I'm more bullish on it, but I but I also have less expectation of the sport being, um, you know, this massively popular thing. This is a niche sport that is is uh, almost hits above its weight uh, culturally uh, more than anybody should expect. And having said that, I mean, I, I would disagree with you. Just golf and Alcaraz alone, um, I'm I'm really interested <laughs> in seeing what comes next, um, and and I'm mesmerized by their power and and grace and and and, and potential. So. Um, I, I hear you, but I've covered the retirement of a lot of, of players, um, and, uh, you know, it, it's from Agassi is a perfect example. You know what? What are we going to do after Agassi? He's, you know, people love him outside the sport even if they know nothing about the sport. And how could we possibly care about a Spaniard, a, a Serb, and a and a and a, uh, and a Swiss instead of Andre Agassi and 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 ones that don't misbehave really all that badly uh, compared to uh, the previous generation. And yet, the sport that people did and 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 so I'm a little bit more bullish on it than you are. Um, but I mean. We are talking about the eclipse of, of, of the greatest woman player of all time, arguably. I mean, obviously, uh, in, a, in a, sw- a concentration, smaller concentration, you can argue Steffi Graf was more dominant in her era. You can argue about Martina. But in terms of this overwhelming presence, I, I, I think it's inarguable that, that Serena is in that conversation, if not absolutely the greatest. And when that happens, it does leave a hole. But I'm not, as, I'm not with you that it will last as long as you think it will.
2: All right, so John, you could settle this because, again, I I know where Scott's coming from and I respect it, but I say to him with all due respect, uh, Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic are not walking through the door in the next five years in the WTA tour. I hope hope to be wrong, and I will still watch it because I am a fan of the sport, but I am thinking of the American consumer. And again, I look at the top 20 and I don't see it. Maybe Raducanu and maybe Goff become that but I I think we are in for two or three years of multiple different kind of major winners and it becoming at least on the women's side a very niche sport but you are there every week so I leave you with the final word
0: oh, man. uh man t- t- tennis is a big tent and it will uh it will be lacking some significant supporting polls pretty soon um but I think I I tend to agree with Scott I think the real legacy of Serena Williams is that she absolutely obliterated these notions of tennis, and we, we talk all oh it's a country club sport, and yet I don't know you go go down the list you know Novak Djokovic's parents ran a pizza parlor and were chased by loan sharks, and Rafa Nadal comes from the island off the coast of Spain with this uh, with a hard-driving uncle, and you literally Naomi Osaka you know, that half Haitian half Japanese, and I think that. Right now, it looks pretty grim. This is the NBA when when Michael Jordan retires, and you know what? Eventually, there'll be a Kobe and a LeBron and a Steph Curry, and eventually, some kid is going to realize that hey, if if Serena Williams did it, it doesn't matter that I'm not from the Shaker Heights Country Club. And I think that someone will fill this void. They're still going to play four majors a year. There'll still be stories. It's still a sport that's individual and breeds craziness and all the reasons we love to cover it. It still breeds personalities. It's global. There are enough virtues here that I I don't think we're going to see anytime soon players winning 20 majors as, as Federer, Nadal, Djokovic and Serena all have. I I think realistically from that perspective, it's going to be a while, but pretty soon a LeBron will come along pretty soon a Steph Curry will come along. And I think a large part of that is because Serena Williams is proof positive that, there isn't just one way to get there. All
2: right. I admire your optimism, but when Rubikina and Plichkova are playing in front of 800,000 people on ESPN, I'm going to email you both. All right. Uh, John Wertheim, you can catch, I mean, I can't even keep up with this guy's uh, resume at this point. It just, it grows every week. But uh, you can find him at Sports Illustrated, 60 Minutes, The Tennis Channel. Any other place, John? Did I actually, in all seriousness, did I miss anything or is that it right now?
0: Can I, uh, we, we do have a fun Ohio State, Michigan uh, film coming out in a few weeks. We'll talk about that later. But no, can oh, I just I say that. it was an ab- yeah. absolute pleasure. Seriously, all, all bullshit aside, this was a pleasure. This, this makes you realize that um, your, your, your colleagues are an important They tell you about salary and they tell you about uh, passive advancement and commuter time. They don't tell you that having nice colleagues is a huge uh, factor in whether you like your job or not. And this, this was a nice reminder.
2: Well, I, and I, yes, and I will shout, let's, before I say goodbye to Scott, let me give a shout out to uh, to all the people who floated uh, with us over the years, from the Drew Lawrences, to the Kristen Morse's, to the Jamie Lasante's, and I, you know, I apologize for uh, Elizabeth Newman, I apologize forever, uh, I'm forgetting, but uh, the Sports Illustrated group at the Open was always great, because everybody who was there really loved it. And you have to love it in order to, you know, stay there until 1, 2 in the morning in a in a very empty uh, media room with, uh, you know, with cold coffee and stuff. Scott Price worked for Sports Illustrated for 26 years as a senior writer. Uh, check out all the great work he did, and uh, I mean, I have now forgiven him for literally the first uh, three three years of my career working endless hours and seeing literally one sentence of that work in the magazine. Scott Price, best-selling author as well, playing through the whistle, steel football. And an American, talent. Scott, anything you want to add before we uh, before we wrap this up?
1: Oh, it's a, it's it was a you know what it, it was a privilege to work with you guys. It was a privilege to cover this great sport, and it was a privilege to watch you know Serena and Venus do what they did. One thing I, I want to say is you know the the last thing just about them. They're you you go to a U.S. Open today, and the 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 crowd that you are going walking through to get to the stadium every day is is markedly different, hundred percent, markedly more, di- markedly more mm-hmm. diverse markedly uh you know just just uh more african-american faces than you've ever seen more people of color um you know they i think it was christopher wren you know saint paul's cathedral if you're looking for his monument you know just look around you he was the architect i mean if you want a, a monument to what serena and venus have meant to the sport look around when you go to the u.s open because that crowd is the monument they change tennis what it looks like what it feels like and what it possibly can be and uh uh, it was a joy to actually just not just talk to you guys, but also to remember um, the impact they they truly had on the game.
2: Yeah, that's well said, Scott. All right, check out John Wertheim's work. Check out Scott Price's work, gentlemen. Thank you for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast.
0: Thank great you. To thanks.
2: All right, back in the studio. My thanks to Scott and John. They were great as uh, as expected, and I hope uh, I hope you enjoyed. It. I hope we, we could bring you something different when it came to uh, some of the backstory of the if you like these kind of conversations, please, uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, leave us a five-star review and a nice note. That's how this podcast continues. You go through the archives. we have had some pretty good stuff lately. Joe Buck on Ben Scully. That was pretty cool. The Rise of the Black Quarterback and What It Means for America. A, uh, a conversation with uh, Anscape senior NFL writer Jason Reed, who wrote that book. Did uh, a long form on What Happens Next with Brick Reiner, with Dr. Danny Gilbert, who is a uh, hostage policy expert, and T.J. Quinn who has been covering that story for uh, ESPN and covering it well. Soccer commentator Ian Dark was a recent guest on this podcast talking about uh, covering the World Cup again. Head to the archives. There should be conversations that uh, you can listen to. Many of them become evergreen. And so uh, please, uh, hopefully, uh, you'll find something to enjoy. I want to thank Patrick Antonetti for all his hard work. Thank you to Cadence 13 and everybody there for their support. And most of all, thank you for listening. We'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast.